A number of years ago, uh, my next door neighbor where I grew up, he, he, was a, he was the son of the folks that lived there. He was about eight years older than me. He graduated from medical school and then he started his practice and then he decided to write a book. And I was really intrigued by his book. And eventually he gave me a copy and I was impressed with what traction he got with this book. And it was a book that he wrote, um, that he put together. He didn't actually write it. And here's what he did. And I, again, I'm surprised at how people responded to this, but he wrote hundreds of letters to famous people, celebrities, famous business people, you know, famous actors, fa just people, politicians. He wrote all these people, hundreds of letters, and he asked them two questions. What is happiness and how do you achieve it? And much to my surprise, he got letters back from senators and from lots and lots of people who I didn't think in this little small Texas town would write him back, but they did. And then he put them all together and he published it. And when you read this book, one of the things you're, you're really impressed with is there is really basically no one in the book that ever says happiness is having a bunch of stuff. No one says that. It's all other things. In fact, it's not things. It's people and relationships and purpose and meaning. All these different things other than the stuff that we think. But we live in a society where that's not our message, right? And that's what I want to talk about today. And really, I didn't say it last week, but this is really sort of part two of a sermon series. The lectionary writers put it th together this way. Last week, we focused in on Colossians 3, and we were talking about being mindful of the things that are above. And, we, and part of that was a little bit of uh, dealing with greed. But today, we're looking at, I'm going to look at Luke 12, where Jesus is going to go straight into this stuff head on. And, you know, it's a little bit awkward doing two weeks in a row on it. I was telling one of my priest friends who lives in another diocese this week, I was like, man, I think I'm going back to the, sort of the same place, part two. And he's like, well, you live in Dallas. He used to live here. He said, you live in Dallas. I think you should make it a four-part four sermon series. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I promise. This is, this is the end of the series, the, the implicit series that's going on. But if we meditate, like these, if people are writing out a thoughtful answer, like, the people were answering my friend's uh, solicitation for this book, I think most of us would answer the way these people did, that it's not about possessions. It's not about mat the materialistic things that we hold. But oftentimes that is our default in our society. And part of the reason we have to ask, if, if we, when we think and meditate on it, we know better. Why is this always being pushed on us? And I think you know the answer, but it's because it's what our society holds. I mean, I was looking at some data for this sermon, but the last year in 2018, the estimated spend on advertising in the United States was $223 billion. That's staggering to me. More staggering to me than that is uh, Adweek estimating that children between the ages of 2 and 11 each year are exposed to 25,600 advertisements during the year, 25,600 advertisements. And so we get it. We're always being flushed over with, you need something. You've got to have this. If only you had this, you need this, whatever else it is. And it begins to affect us. And I think it's done more so maybe in different generations, right? We're, some of us are thinking about the start of a new school year. Some of you in the room, I know, because I prayed for some of you last week, or have got people heading off to college and all this. I read a, a survey that came out, it was, a, it was a number of years ago, about seven years ago, where they surveyed 3,000 something um, freshmen who were heading off to college. 
asking them some questions about, about these lines. And it, it, was, it appeared in an article that came out. But this survey said that 78% of college freshmen heading off say like one of their main goals is to be well off financially. That's what they're about. Now, just this is generation. I know there are lots going on when this comparison happened. But in 1969, just to compare that, the same survey was done. The answer was 42% of people that answered that same way, that they were interested in being financially well off. It's a big shift between then. And likewise, uh, today, 48% said they wanted to develop a meaningful philosophy for life. 48%. What do you think it was in 69? Right at 85%. 85% trying to figure out meaningful philosophy of life. But I think all these things are always impacting us. And part of what we need to do, part of what we do each week is to remind ourselves that is an empty and hollow thing. And we know that. We just need to be reminded of it. It's like going back to this book my neighbor wrote, you know, that the, all these people wrote. We know in the end, material possessions are not what's going to ultimately satisfy us. And I think one of the more interesting things that's happened in the, in the most recent years in the last like 20 years, psychologists in universities have really started to focus in on what makes us happy. They're doing more and more studies trying to scientifically look at what is it that makes us happy. And one of these professors doing this is at the University of Illinois, a guy named Ed Diener. And he says this, he says, materialism is toxic for happiness. He says, even rich materialists aren't as happy as those who care less about getting and spending. That it's, it's a lie that this, you know, if you had all the stuff you want, that's still not it. And we're reminded of this sometimes when we see somebody who's gotten to the top of whatever it is, money and everything else, and then they, you can just see they're not satisfied and, or they, they end things, you know, and it's, it's a reminder to us that that's not what it's about. And Jesus in our, in chapter 12 today of Luke is going to go straight there. Like every religion that says it's not about stuff, every main religion saying it's not about stuff. Jesus is going to go hard to that place. And so we take up this chapter 12, and I want to give a little bit of context to our reading today. And part of this is to say, if we drink in materialism, it will blind us, I think, sometimes from what's going on spiritually. It'll make us to where we're not aware of it. And we get that in chapter 12, really based on the reading I did last week, but I'll, I'll say something about it. So in chapter 12, We've, this is kind of the quick survey of, of part of it. You, you get these first three verses where Jesus is talking about hypocrisy. And then verses 4 to 12, he goes into this impassioned um, preaching about being fearless. Because people are being persecuted and Jesus is like, okay, they can only kill the body. They can't kill your soul. And he's like, don't worry when you get into these tight pinches because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the things to say. It's going to come to you. He's going on about all this. And then at verse 13, we read this last week, you get this guy who interrupts Jesus. Verses like, this was like verses 13 to 21 that we read last week. And I got to stop and just say, I'm slightly satisfied with this passage on, on a really wicked level because even Jesus is preaching impassioned and this one guy is not really listening and not really getting it. So even he didn't connect with somebody because he's, he's in the middle of all this and this guy interrupts him and says to Jesus, hey, I've got this big conflict with my family over inheritance. Can you help me solve it? If you were with us last week, you heard him say this. And I wonder, the guy just not hear what's going on? Jesus is talking about people being suffering and being persecuted and how to deal with it. And he's like, can you help me solve my financial issue? It's like, like tone deaf all the way. 
And I think he's blinded by maybe his possessions or what's going on with that. And Jesus, I love it because Jesus is right on it. Jesus pivots. I mean, like, say whatever you want about however he preached. You know, we could study that. But he pivots on this point. He's like, oh, you want to talk finances? Let's go there. And the first thing he gives is what he gave last week. Because last week, he gives him immediately the story of the, what we've dubbed the rich fool. And if you remember how this goes, it's a guy who has all this stuff. In fact, he's got too much stuff. And he's like, what am I going to do? Then it's not all going to fit in my barn. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear it down and build bigger ones because that's going to help. And, and then he, death comes to him to that night and says, yeah, you're, you're going to die tonight. And, and, he, and you, you fool. You know, it's like, so it's a, it's a very, I mean, like Jesus tells, I mean, I'm picturing this story. Like if you're preaching and somebody asks this question and you come down and you said, let me tell you this parable. Like, boom, right in their face about, I mean, like he's on it, right? Isn't he? I mean, like telling them we're going to, Tonight, you're going to die and all this stuff. And I think for us, it's a reminder that Jesus is coming right back to one of the big 10 commandments that we don't talk a lot about, that we're not to covet. And covet doesn't just mean looking at what other people have. It, part of what it also means is when you have enough stuff and you're craving other stuff, that's part of what it means to covet. And it's always been in the big 10 and I think we don't just don't talk about it, right? It, it, we just don't do anything with it. And that's part of what's going on with this. And so we pick up, we start to pick up with our passage today. And Jesus is going to preach it. And he's going to talk about it all the way, verses 22, all the way through 30. And then we're going to go on from there. But he's talking about our finances. And I think it's really helpful for us, maybe more so in Dallas, to go to my friend's comment. I don't know to stop and really hear what Jesus is saying. And I want to kind of just walk, I've got some things I want to say about it. I feel led to say about it, but I want to just kind of quickly walk through some of the bits and pieces of what's going on with this. And, and you know, it starts at verse 22 where Jesus is saying, it's not, it's not about stuff. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. It's not about stuff. At verse 23, he's going to say, life is way more than this stuff. Like it's, it's not just about stuff. It's other things in life that what it's about. And then after that, from verse 24 to 30, he's going to give examples and things that are going to help us not be fearful about possessions and we need stuff and all, the, all of this and how to handle them. That's what's going to happen with, with, the, with the rest of this. Starting at verse 24, where he's going to say, okay, the ravens, God takes care of them. Don't you think he's going to take care of you? And then for all the pragmatic people in the room, verses 25 and 26, he says, look, by the way, even if you worry about all this stuff, it's not going to add any time to your life. Like, what's the point of your worrying? What are you really going to accomplish with all that worry? Is Jesus saying, set the worry aside. And he, go, he goes on from there in verse 27 and talks about, hey, look at the lilies of the field. These, the scholars say that there's some kind of scarlet lilies that whenever there was a rain, in the, in the area, these things would pop up right after the rain. And you would look and see the mountainsides that were scarlet. But they would last about a day. And then they would shrivel up and die. And Palestine was short on wood. And so they would scoop up dried grass and dried flowers. And they, that's what they would use in their ovens. And Jesus has said, look at these lilies, how brilliant and gorgeous they are. They're here for one day. Then they're scooped up and burned. Look at how they're provided for. God's going to take care of you more than that. He's going to, he's, it's more than that. Verse 29, he's going to say, don't sweat all the food and being provided for, for that. Cause he goes on you know, right after that in verse 30 and says like you and all the other nations know that that's needed and God knows you need it. 
So don't worry about it, right? That he, he's got that. That's going to that's take care of itself. God is going to provide and take care of it. And then he says in verse 31, look, may, he, now is the first time he's saying a positive. He's saying lean into God's kingdom. Strive for the kingdom. And all these other things will take care of themselves. They're going to they're fall into place. He's going to provide for you. You will have food. You will be provided for. But lean in to what his kingdom is. And then in verse 32, he says something that I think maybe sometimes we don't, we don't own or appreciate, and that's that God wants to give you the kingdom. He wants you to have this kingdom life. It's not like you're trying to earn it, you're trying to be good enough, that you're doing anything else. He wants you to have the kingdom. That's where our, our gospel lesson started today. Don't be fearful. He wants you to have the kingdom. And he goes on to say, look, get rid of, be loose with your possessions, sell them, store up by being generous and giving away, Store up treasure in heaven where thieves aren't going to take it and where moths aren't going to destroy it. And I'll say more about that in just a minute. And then I think we get, it's like maybe the key passage of, of this whole thing. In verse 34, he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And the rest of our gospel lesson today, which I'm not going to focus on today, is about being prepared. And really the rest of the chapter 12 is about being prepared. What's it mean to be prepared? and to keep working for the kingdom in a sort of a diligent, active way. But I want to just continue to think about this place, about our hearts and the kingdom. What Jesus is saying is to make our hearts be kingdom-minded. And when he talks about being kingdom-minded, we said a little bit about this last week, but it's, it's thinking about earth where everybody is submitting to God's will and saying, your will be done. What does the world begin to look like? Your will be done. Your will be done. If everybody's living that way, what does it look like? And how does it affect the way we live? I want to suggest that around possessions, it changes how we hold them. One, I think it makes us live in a place of balance about our possessions. And I think it makes us be more, way more neutral towards them. And I want to give you a couple different uh, Christian writers talking about this. Um, the first of which is the great Anglican priest from last century, John Stott, who was writing about this, and he wants to talk about a place of balance. And what he says is, look, there, he says there are two different extremes. On one side, you've got asceticism, which y'all know is like living as if material things are bad. It's like giving up everything and living with nothing kind of stuff, asceticism on one end. And the other end is materialism, where you dwell on material possessions, and they sort of own you. That's over on this side. John Stott is saying, be in the middle. And this is how he says it. He says, asceticism is a rejection of the good gifts of the good creator. Its opposite is materialism. Not just possessing material things, but becoming preoccupied with them. In between asceticism and materialism is simplicity and contentment and generosity. And these three virtues should mark us all. It's not a question of rules and regulations about our income, how many rooms or cars we have. It's these principles of simplicity, contentment, and generosity over and against covetousness, materialism, and asceticism that we have to apply to our living all the time. So he's trying to get us to be in that place in the middle, right? And then going back way, way further than that, back to the uh, fifth century, um, 
St. Augustine is writing about the same passage we're reading today. And he's going to advocate that people be, I'm going to say, neutral about your possessions. So listen to what he's saying. This is in like the year 500 kind of range. He says, if you lack earthly riches, do not seek them in the world by evil deeds. If they fall to your lot, let them be stored up in heaven by good works. A Christian soul, a Christian soul should neither be overjoyed at acquiring them nor cast down when they're gone. So he's just kind of holding it, you know, seeing it as something that God, God has. And I think for us, it calls us to a place of self-examination. And um, I'll say more, but I, I'd love for your homework today to be at, at lunch, to have a conversation about materialism and possessions and where you hold them and kind of bring that to the center of the table. Most everybody in this room is a believer. You believe in God. You believe there's this kingdom. Part of our question is, do the way we handle possessions show that? And I think to me, again, to go back to this key verse, verse 34, about where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, is something to also talk about at that lunch table. And, and think about this for a moment. I think that passage is both descriptive and prescriptive. And let me explain. When we talk about descriptive, I think if you look today at where your treasure is, if you, if you get someone objectively to look, if you had somebody you hired to go look at all your finances and then ask, where's my treasure? They would be able to describe to you where your, where, where your treasure is and what you're about from that. But I also think Jesus means it the other way. If, if you need to pivot from wherever you are and you make now your treasure these other things, it'll make your heart go to that place. It's a prescriptive element. It's calling us to that place, and it'll take, it, take us there. And I think for us, it's always a reminder that um, it's a trite analogy to say that this uh, mental exercise of imagining your funeral today kind of a thing. But how many of you really honestly would ever want somebody to come up to the podium at your funeral and say, we're here today to remember so-and-so, and he had five houses. <laughs> he had four cars that were a blah, 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 blah and just rattle off about your possessions. Nobody wants that. No one's ever going to do that. At that point, everybody's clear about it. Part of what we're saying here is bring that into today and to how you live, because that's not automatic. And I'm, I'm in the home stretch, but I read one more study that I want to mention. This was an article from the New York Times last year from one of their writers, Paul Sullivan, where he's writing about a survey that came out recently where they were studying affluent Americans between ages 25 and 65 and, and trying to figure out what they had and how they felt and some different things about them. And for a large number of them, there was a measure of happiness they had, but it came with a lot of regrets. And here's, here's how he summarizes part of it. Quote, he says, affluent Americans ages 25 to 65 were asked a series of questions about attitudes towards wealth. About half of all respondents said sacrifices they made to accumulate such wealth meant that they had spent less time with their friends and family, and that led to regret. That regret rose to nearly two-thirds for people at the higher end of the wealth range in the study. More than half of business owners felt it too, outpacing people who'd accumulated their wealth by working for someone else. This idea is so easy to get caught up in this stuff that pulls us away from the stuff we know matters. Part of our challenge is to live what matters and to keep bringing that, that back and forth. I think um, Jesus doesn't want us to be misguided. And when this guy asks this question, he pivots and goes right there. 
Because he doesn't want us to be misguided. He doesn't want us to be in that place. At the end of our lives, what matters is how we lean into kingdom living, loving people, living the rhythms of grace, practicing generosity, trying to be more Christ-like in how we live, all these different things. And this passage we read today says that will not fail you. That's what's going to last. That's not what's going to, you'll store that up where moths aren't going to destroy it, where thieves aren't going to get to it, where it's not going to rot. And I think because of its permanence, that's why we talk about Jesus being the rock. That's why we, we hear scripture say he's not, he doesn't change. That's why we get one of the images of Christianity as an anchor because it's solid. It's going to be what, save, what positions us and keeps us safe. And for us, we just got to keep coming back to that place and holding on to it. Let's pray.